All right, Shabbat Shalom. Uh, we're, we're trying a couple of new things today. Uh, n- number one, you might notice this contraption over here. We're trying to uh, record this, and it will be posted somewhere. I haven't decided yet where. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, that's number one. And number two, I'm really hoping that we can get through... It's a big chunk. It's four pages even though it's just one page of Talmud. So we're going to go a little bit more quickly through things than usual. Uh, so if, if you have questions or, or if I cut you off, understand that it's uh, just for the sake of, of trying to get through a little bit more material than we usually do this morning, uh, because this is going to be uh, really your introduction. We've been doing Talmud a few weeks now, I, I guess about a month. And uh, this, this is now your, your introduction to Talmudic reasoning. We've sort of eased our way in, uh, covered some of the basics of Talmud, you know, what is the Talmud, uh, some of the basic structure. And uh, now you're seeing uh, really the first Talmudic discussion with uh, uh, the reasoning laid out. And this is the heart of the Talmud. It's a particular way of thinking about and approaching questions or uh, problems that uh, has a particular style to it. You've heard me say it many times. This will be a, uh, an excellent illustration and uh, also some familiar material, I think. So before we begin, the blessing is right behind me here. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Amen. What is this thing you're talking about? I'm sorry? What's this thing you're talking about? Uh, it's just recording. It's recording. Oh. <laughs> So at the beginning of the page, a little bit of background. This is discussed earlier in the Talmud, uh, but uh, I thought it'd be useful to include here the, the uh, uh, passage from Deuteronomy that we're discussing here. Would anybody like to read from Deuteronomy? Go ahead. Therefore, keep the commandments of Adonai your God, walk in God's ways and revere God. For Adonai, our God, is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and springs and fountains issuing from plain and hill, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat food without sin, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you can mine copper. When you have eaten your fill, give thanks to Adonai, our God, for the good land which God has given you. All right. Now, if if you have a highlighter, I know people don't bring highlighters, <laughs> uh, you would highlight or maybe underline, when you have eaten your fill, give thanks to Adonai, your God. That is sort of the... Uh, the, the key sentence in this passage, but the other stuff is, is relevant as well. We've got a lot of different things happening in this passage. This is, again, Deuteronomy 8, 6 through 10. Uh, we've got, you've got to keep the commandments, okay? So tell us what those commandments are so we can keep them. 
you might have thought it was just a, a nice passage describing, look how lovely this land is, you've got all of these resources, but no, it's going to be taken very specifically in a Jewish way of reading it. You've got a specific set of um, plants, foods that are listed. This, this is actually a very famous list. It's the seven species, which is to say wheat, barley, vines, that's grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and honey. And now remember that honey come in, the, in, the, in the ancient world comes from two sources. It can be honey, what we think of coming from bees. Uh, but more commonly, that would be sort of a rare uh, treat. Uh, but more commonly, if you're talking about honey, you're talking about dates. Date honey. Date honey. What's stint? I'm sorry? Stint. Uh, w without stint, without... Uh, Limit without end. Without end. Without limit. Yeah. Um, without running out. Uh, and then, of course, you've got this. This. Uh, it may not seem like a commandment. It could just be like you know. Oh, it's going to be so lovely. You'll thank God for all this wonderful food. But it's taken as a commandment. Because it says at the beginning, keep the commandments of Adonai your God. So here's a commandment. When you have eaten your fill, give thanks to Adonai your God. This is the basis for the blessing after the meal. That's that, that big long one that you, you, you did in camp. <laughs> if you ever went to camp when you were a kid. Or maybe at like a... Um, uh, you know, if you went to some, some kind of national Jewish event, you know, sisterhood or, or uh, URJ convention or something like that, you might do uh, Birkat Hamazon, Grace After Meals, or if you grew up in a more uh, traditional uh, synagogue, you know, Orthodox or conservative, then you're familiar. Otherwise, you might not be all that familiar with Grace After Meals, with Birkat Hamazon, uh, but that's what's talked about before we get to this week's uh, passage uh, that you're, you're required to say a blessing after the meal, and then there's a discussion of exactly what that, uh, what constitutes the appropriate blessing after a meal. Uh, but you see right here, there's the commandment that proves it's in the Torah that God gave us this commandment. You have to say a blessing after a meal. Now the Orthodox do Yes. In at home, are they around? Yes, yeah, exactly. If Again, like I said, if you um, grew up in a more traditional background, uh, you know, conservative or, or certainly orthodox, um, then you're probably very familiar with, with Birkat Amazon, um, which according to the Talmud, you're supposed to say after every single meal. Uh, and there's, there's a variation for Shabbat, but we won't get into, into that. Uh, that's just important information to have his background as we begin our, our uh, uh, page for today. This is nearly all of Brachot 35a. I cut off a tiny bit at the end that starts to go into another sugya, another uh, discussion, another issue. Uh, but let's, let's start here. I'll, who, who would like to read the Mishnah? Actually, 
I take that back. I'll read the Mishnah because I'm going to translate some of it into Hebrew. I know, usually we go the other way. It'll make sense. This Mishnah discusses the blessings recited over various foods. How does one recite a blessing over fruits? That's one type of food. Now remember, fruits refers to uh, any uh, edible thing that comes from a plant. Uh, so a fruit can be uh, can include you know fruits that we typically think of like grapes or um, uh, figs, pomegranates. Uh, it also includes things that you might not consider a fruit, but you can sort of see how it would be, like olives. Olives grow on a tree just like fruits. Uh, it also includes things like wheat and barley, uh, which you probably wouldn't think of as a fruit, but it, the, the, um, in the Talmudic sense, in the Jewish sense, the, the Hebrew word fruit refers to all of those. So how does one recite a blessing over fruits? Over different fruits that grow on a tree, one recites who creates fruit of the tree, with the exception of wine. I'm going to read that part in, in Hebrew, bere peri ha'etz. Have you heard that before? Yes. Who creates the fruit of the tree. That's bere peri ha'etz, with the exception of wine. Although wine is produced from the fruit of a tree, uh, and again, you might not think of a, a vine as being a tree, uh, but there's a whole separate section of Talmud that discusses what constitutes a tree and what doesn't, so for now we'll just say it's a tree. Uh, however, due to its significance, its blessing differs from other fruits of the tree. Over wine, one recites who creates the fruit of the vine. I bet you can all translate this into Hebrew. Bere peri hagafen. Okay. Who creates the fruit of the vine. Over fruits that grow in the earth, one recites who creates the fruit of the ground. Bere peri ha'adama. With the exception of bread. Bread comes from wheat. Wheat comes from the ground. So normally you would say bere peri ha'adama, but bread... We're going to see as an exception. Bread, too, is significant, and its blessing differs from other fruits of the ground. As over bread, one recites, how do we say this in Hebrew, the next sentence? Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. There you go. Over herbs and leafy vegetables, one recites, who creates fruit of the ground, bere peri ha'adama. Rabbi Yehuda says that there is room to distinguish between fruits that grow in the earth herbs and leafy vegetables. Although they are all fruit of the ground, since they have different qualities, the blessing on the latter is who creates various kinds of herbs. We'll, we'll leave that as it is. Gemara. So now we're in the, the later part of the Talmud. That's, that's the, the Mishnah is the earlier part, uh, which is much briefer, and then the Gemara is uh, the, the bulk of the Talmud, which comes much later. Concerning the fundamental basis for blessings, the Gemara asks, from where are these matters, the that is, the obligation to recite a blessing before eating, derived? Okay, so we've got this description. These are the blessings you say, but why should we say any blessing at all? In the Torah, it says, say a blessing after you eat. That's that we've already established. You, when you've eaten your fill, then it says, give thanks to Adonai, your God, right? 
So that's how we know we say a blessing after the meal. How do we know we, we need to say a blessing before you eat something? The Gemara answers, as the sages taught, with regards to saplings, it's stated that in their fourth year, the fruit will be sanctified for praises before the Lord. This verse teaches that they require praises, they require praise of God in the form of blessing both beforehand and thereafter, as the verse says, praises in plural. Aha. So this is a Talmudic principle. When you have a plural word anywhere in the Torah, it has to refer to usually exactly two things. Anytime you see a plural. Uh, if, you, if you see yamim, uh, uh, all the days of your life, Days is plural, so how can that be two? Well, there's, there are different interpretations where it might say, okay, that applies to days and also nights. So anytime you have a plural, this is just one of the, the rules that the, the Talmud follows interpreting uh, text. If you have a plural, then it has to refer to two things. So if you say praises, it doesn't say uh, sanctified for a praise, before God, it says praises, so that must be two blessings, and where, where else would you put those blessings but before and after? From here, Rabbi Akiva said a person is forbidden to taste anything before he recites a blessing, as without reciting praise over food, it has the status of a consecrated item from which one is forbidden to derive pleasure. The Gemara asks, and did this verse, sanctified for our praises, come for that purpose? This verse is necessary to derive other matters. Now here's a totally different problem related to the uh, interpretation of the verse. It's fair to say, okay, we've got a plural here, it must be referring to two things. But the problem is that we've already used this verse elsewhere in the Talmud to prove other things. And if you, it's, it's sort of like each verse provides one uh, commandment, or each word can provide one commandment, but you can't start doubling up. <clears throat> I don't know why. This verse is necessary to derive other matters, one being... Uh, that the merciful said, uh, merciful one said, redeem it and then eat it. The midrash interprets uh, chilul praise as, or chilul praise as chilul redemption, meaning you're required to uh, uh, redeem the, the the fruits of your land. This is the related to first fruits. The other matter derived from this verse is an object which is offered upon the altar requires a song of praise when offered, as is the case with the libation of wine, which requires redemption. And that which does not require a song of praise, all other fruits, does not require redemption. And this is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani, who said that Rabbi Yonatan said, as Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani said that Rabbi Yonatan said, <laughs> from where is it derived? It's always important to cite your sources. From where is it derived that one only recites a song in, of praise in the temple over the libation of the wine on the altar, as it is stated, and the vine replied, 
Should I leave my wine, which gladdens God and man, and go and wave above the trees? Now, where is that quote from? Judges. What part of the Tanakh is Judges? John about writings of prophets? Yes. So you've got, you've, that's right, you've got Torah writings, Ketuvim, uh, uh, or let me flip that. Let me do it in order. Torah, prophets, and writings, which is Torah, Nevi'im, and Kituvim. That's where we get the word Tanakh. The Hebrew Bible is made up of those three parts. So every commandment, remember, this is, this is in the, the rabbinic mindset, every commandment is contained in the Torah. So if you find something in prophets that seems like it's a commandment, uh, then, then you have not a big problem, but a small problem. Uh, because we can't have commandments in prophets or even in writings, but they can really only be sort of uh, support texts. They're, they're, they're proof texts. It's, it's extra evidence. So everything in some way or another, every commandment has to be related back to the Torah. So here you've got this uh, verse from Judges, which uh, you might guess is taken very much out of context to say you have to sing a song for wine. That is, uh, say, a special blessing or a special formula. Uh, but it comes from prophets, not Torah. And so if we went and found that passage of the Talmud where this discussion uh, is, is expanded... Right now, we're just reading a summary of a discussion that happens elsewhere. We would see it referenced back to this verse in Leviticus. That's, that's the verse we're talking about, sanctified for praises. Are you with me so far? All right. So that's, that's why even though this has its own verse, it still needs that verse from Leviticus to support it. So that verse from Leviticus is, is used up on two different things already. Are we really trying to, to, to say that we're getting three different commandments from a single verse? Uh, that would be a problem. Why wouldn't God list them separately? Uh, this is sort of the, the flip side of the coin, the idea that there's nothing redundant in the Torah. Even if the Torah says the exact same thing in the exact same words multiple times, we have to interpret each time differently. Each time must be a different commandment. We've talked about that in the past, yes? Sort of. For example, when uh, there are three times that the Torah says, uh, do not see the kid in its mother's milk. So each time that it's repeated, we take a different interpretation, uh, which is why we don't literally boil a kid in its mother's milk or see the kid in its mother's milk. Uh, this is a calf, a cow, uh, or a goat. Uh, the second repetition uh, t tells us that it applies to all animals that have milk, not just one particular species. Uh, and the third tells us not to derive any benefit from any mixture of meat and milk. That's why we have those laws of, of kashrut. It's repeated three times, so we get three different teachings. The flip side of that is if something only shows up once, there's, there's, you, you can't use that as the basis for 
all sorts of different laws. It's got to be one verse uh, or one word, sometimes one law. Question. Now, now it assumes that we, we know the whole Talmud. Yes. Yes. That's why, by the way, um, it is extremely helpful to have the, the, the inline commentary. That's, that's all of the non-bold text. That's commentary. Uh, and it's written by somebody who has already read the whole Talmud. So he, he knows what all of these uh, you know, technical terms and these references are referring to, so he can sort of fill us in. By the way, you know, this is referring to something else you know, elsewhere in the Talmud. He's sort of filling in those details for us. Very nice of him. Uh, this whole context, though, is of the various items we're talking about. Yes. Who reigns over whom? From the from uh, judges, because it starts out. Yes, this verse is taken yeah. very much out of there when when it's. When it's convenient, verses are used in the context, um, but most often verses are taken out of context, sometimes completely out of context, um, and, 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 taken, and taken very literally. So don't be distracted by the context that it shows up in. No. And this whole section. There's there's probably yeah. an interest. Yeah, it's it's totally. You can go go home and look up uh, uh, Judges nine through uh, nine thirteen, and you'll and you'll. It's it's an interesting right. passage, but it is totally unrelated to any sort of blessing over fruits. It's it's yeah. it's not even it's not even literal. It's it's an allegorical right. passage, right. but because it's in there, it's fair game. So this is this is another one of the uh, uh, stipulations. Is that the word we decided on? Stipulations. Yeah. This is another one of the stipulations of Talmud that you can. Every verse has meaning by itself, <clears throat> and the, the the context of the verse doesn't matter except when it does. That's the rule. Uh, okay. So continuing, if wine gladdens people, in what way does it gladden God? Okay, because the verse says, the, the, the vine is talking, it says, should I leave my wine which gladdens God and man? Okay, it's easy to understand how God makes, or how wine makes us happy, right? Fair enough. But what does it do for God? God's not up there getting drunk. But he likes seeing us happy. <laughs> It could be. Let's let's find out what the Talmud says. That's that's an excellent theory. Maybe seeing us happy makes God happy. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, uh, in what way does it gladden God? Rather, derived from here, that uh, one only recites a song of praise over wine, as wine gladdens God, when it is offered as part of the service in the temple. In any case, other halachot have been derived from this verse. From where then is the requirement to recite blessings derived? So, uh, and again, that's all, you notice none of that last sentence is bold. That's all the commentary that sort of helps us form the connective tissue 
uh, without which it would be extremely difficult to follow this in, instead of only difficult. Is this where we get where we say mozi before eating any food, but we only say the Kiddush on Shabbat? Is that where this comes from? Um, stretch, maybe, but because it says only in the temple. More or less, yeah. In short, yes. Um, I don't recall if we're going to get into here when we say um, Bari Hagafen over wine and when we say uh, or, uh, and when we say there are times with wine that you would say uh, Bari Pari Ha'etz like, like a, any other ordinary fruit I don't think that we're going to get into that in this passage all right. Indeed, this works out well according to the one who is taught as a rule, a fourth-year sapling. This is, this is, again, going back to the verse. Uh, the, the Torah here is, is describing a legal matter. It's saying uh, uh, the first four years that you plant a tree, you, you don't take any of its fruits. Only in the fourth year, I guess the first three years, only in the fourth year are you allowed to take the fruits and you give an offering. Those are the, the first fruits. And then you can enjoy uh, 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 you know, the produce of that tree. Uh, so this works out well according to the one who is taught as a rule of fourth year sapling in the Mishnayot dealing with the prohibition to eat fruits. Oh, see, he's explaining it. I didn't have to explain it. <laughs> produced during the first three years of a tree's existence and the sanctity of the fruit produced in the fourth year as, in his opinion, the fourth year fruits grow on all trees that must be redeemed. All right. So there's what does saying a blessing have to do with redeeming the fruits? We're going to find out. However, according to one who was taught as a rule of fourth year grapevine, what can be said? Indeed, he derives the halakha, halakha meaning the, the, the ruling, uh, that only wine is accompanied by song of praise requires redemption from the interpretation, interpretation of Hilul and Chilul. There's, there's, that's sort of a, a, a pun, which is, um, it's sort of difficult to describe uh, what makes a pun a valid interpretation of Torah. Uh, because it comes up not infrequently in the Talmud where uh, a certain letter is switched or you know, a, a, a word is, is um, changed from, from one root to another root um, and said, oh, well, you know, even, then it sa- even though it says you know, such and such, it's actually referring to something else. Um, uh, for example, uh, uh, Yom Kippur actually in, in, in the Torah is called Yom HaKippurim, uh, which although the words are not related, uh, Yom HaKippurim contains the word Purim, Purim. So people say Purim is like the counterpart to, to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is, is this very serious holiday. Purim is a very you know, silly holiday everything's backwards, even though the words are not related. So that type of thing happens all the time in the Talmud, uh, but, uh, 
basically the rule is if it happens in the Talmud, it's okay, but you're not allowed to do it yourself. You can't just decide to start switching around letters, uh, presumably because we lack the wisdom that the ancient rabbis, they, they had some reason for understanding why that was a valid pun to make. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's what we've got uh, happening here. Um, so this paragraph is saying, if you accept these two other arguments based on the verse, uh, you say a blessing over wine because of the verses that we discussed here. Uh, okay, if it's uh, then then you could apply that in in the first case. You could apply that to anything, any kind of fruit that uh, uh, is is eligible for this this four year uh, uh, process, the the four year sapling. So that applies to a lot of fruits. But if you're only looking at this second argument, the, the pun, then it only applies to grapes. That's specific to grapes. So does that mean you only bless grapes? That's what the Talmud is asking here. As it was stated, Rabbi Thea and Rabbi Shimon, son of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, one taught these Mishnayot using a term, a fourth-year grapevine, and one taught using the term a fourth-year sapling. According to the one who taught a fourth-year grapevine, this works out well if he derives this matter from a verbal analogy. Uh, and I'm going, I'm going to skip a little bit here, I think. Um, these next two paragraphs are, are sort of expounding on what I just described, the, the two arguments, the two possible arguments, and then I ask the question, does it, uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking down uh, a little bit further about the blessing. Okay, yeah, the second paragraph. So it's the third paragraph from the bottom of the page. And if he does not derive this halakha by means of a verbal analogy, he must derive this halakha from the term hilulim, in which case, here's the question. From where does he derive the mitzvah to recite a blessing before partaking food? So we're circling back to our original question. And even if he derives his halakha by means of a verbal analogy, we found the source for the obligation to recite a blessing after eating, similar to the obligation stated in the verse. So now we're back to square one. We know that we need to say a blessing, but we already have a blessing after all food, because we already know that. So that applies to grapes. Grapes are already, already have a blessing. We're back to square one. However, from where is it derived that there's an obligation to recite a blessing beforehand? Okay. The Gemara answers this. It's not difficult. As it said, uh, Talmud loves to put in these little sort of asides. You know, oh, that's a really tough question. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it's no problem. It's a simple matter. As it may be derived by means of an... Anybody good with Latin here? A fortiori. A fortiori. Thank you. Uh, so this is a legal term, I'm told. What does a fortiori mean? Can you translate that from Latin to English? Sort of a basis before... It's 
a basic assumption, I think, or even stronger, I don't know. Even stronger, yes. Uh, this, this is uh, a very, this is, it's an important term to learn in Latin because it's often translated in Latin. In Hebrew, it's kol v'chomer. Uh, if you're taking notes, I would write that down, kol v'chomer, because this is an extremely significant uh, form of halachic reasoning. Anytime you can make an argument in one case, that same argument is going to apply to uh, a, a, a more extreme case. So, uh, for example, you might say, um, you know, if, if uh, you know, jaywalking on a street is illegal, you don't need a separate law that says jaywalking on the highway is illegal, right? If you say you can't jaywalk on a street, then obviously, call the homer, you can't jaywalk on the highway. Yeah, a good translation in English would be even more so. Right. It's, but it's a very specific, uh, um, it's a very specific uh, uh, reasoning that it's presenting. It's saying here's, an, here's a specific type of argument that's coming. Whenever you see call the homer or... Can you say it for me again, Les? A fortiori. A fortiori in, in Latin. Anytime you see that, or if you see a different translation that says all the more so, um, then, then you know you're about to see this very specific type of argument, which is used all over the Talmud, uh, without, without which we don't have halakha, we don't have Jewish law. I, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but it is so significant uh, in terms of where our practice of Judaism comes from. That, you know, if it's true in one case, then it's, it's true in a more extreme case, in a, you know, a, a stronger case. All right. So it's not difficult. Why, why do you say a blessing beforehand? It's not difficult. It's a, a simple matter of kol v'chomer. If, when he is satiated after eating, he's obligated to recite a blessing over food, that's the first case, uh, then when he's hungry before eating, all the more so, kol v'chomer, he is obligated to recite a blessing over food. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but it makes sense. <clears throat> the, gar the Gemara comments, in this way we found a source for the obligation to recite a blessing over the produce of vineyards, but from where is it derived with regard to other types of foods? Okay, so does, do we only need to bless, bless grapes and that's it? We know that's not the case. The Talmud already told us, you know, you say these different blessings over these different things. So how do we know that we need to say those blessings? How can we, we prove it? Uh, this, is, this is, by the way, there's, there's another halachic principle, which is a, a wasted blessing. You don't want to say a blessing that has no purpose, because then it's like you're just bothering God, you know? Um, it's not really the... <laughs> yeah, more or less. Um, 
So you don't want to do that. You want to make sure that if you're saying a blessing, that you're justified, that, it, that, that it's a purposeful blessing, um, and that it is uh, a blessing that you're supposed to say. That's just something to have in the background of your head. You know, why not just bless everything and be safe? Uh, well, then you'd be blessing every second of every day. You wouldn't get anything done. <clears throat> we need to know is it, what... Is it wrong to bless, just bless? Mm. If you decide to, you're in a blessing mood, and you bless, is that wrong? Or, I mean, or it has to be applied specifically, or, or, or you can do that? Um, I, that That is a good question. Um, <laughs> and, and there... Hmm, the answer is that it depends. Uh, I know, good answer. <laughs> it's um, if you're saying a blessing accord the, the, the yeah. contemporary halacha, and I, I I don't know the 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 Talmudic passage. I'm sure that it's discussed uh, elsewhere in Brachot. We haven't gotten there yet. We're only we're only on Daf uh, 35 here, right? Um, elsewhere in the Talmud. Um, or the, so I don't know what it says elsewhere in the Talmud specifically, but uh, the, the, the modern halakha is if you have a, a blessing of the heart, if you, you know, have just, you know, you're, you're moved to, uh, you know, praise God for whatever the case might be. Thank you, God, for this beautiful day. You can do that. Uh, but if Later it in is, but if it is a uh, specific, oh, is it continuing? Yes. Uh, if it is a, um, but if it is a specific formula like hamotzi lecha min haaretz, and then you don't eat anything, then that's a wasted blessing. Um, and so you don't want to you don't want to say a wasted blessing. So the Gemara responds. It's derived. We're, we're asking. All right. We know you bless grapes before. We know you bless everything after because we've got a biblical verse that tells us uh, anytime you eat something that can satisfy you, uh, you say a blessing. So anytime you eat, that means a meal. So if the, eating is not a meal, say like an olive oil producer and you decide to taste one grape, even though you, one olive, even mm-hmm. though you're not hungry, uh, just to test the produce to decide if it's time to press it, um, does that constitute a meal that requires a blessing? You, you have to go home and read the next five or six pages of the Talmud. <laughs> <laughs> that question is absolutely answered. What constitutes uh, being satisfied, being satiated? Um, and it is discussed at length. It's, it's about five or six pages, you know, 35 through 42 or 43 is discussing all of those issues. All right. So it's, 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 um, we know that the basis in the Torah, because remember, this, there, we've got this verse in Deuteronomy, when you have eaten your fill, give thanks to Adonai. So that's the basis for saying a blessing after the meal, right? You, when you've eaten your fill, then give thanks to Adonai. We have one argument that says, well, if you, if you say a blessing when you're full, you know, call the Homer, all the more so, you should say a blessing when you're still hungry, before you eat. All right. 
But does that apply only to grapes? The Gemara responds, it is derived by means of a hermeneutic principle. What do we find from the produce of the vineyard? Just as the fruit of the vineyard is an item from which one derives benefit, we're we're defining a, a legal term here, derives benefit, and it requires a blessing, so too, any item from which one derives benefit requires a blessing. That sort of kind of answers the Conrad's question. Uh, uh, Not quite. So this this is a specific category of blessings. For these types of blessings, the blessings over things that from which one derives benefit, that's what the Talmud is about to discuss. But there are other blessings. We're we're already 35 pages into the the, the, uh, tractate of Brachot, We've talked about lots of other blessings. We've talked about Shema and the blessings that go with the Shema. Um, uh, we, we talked about uh, blessing, last time we met, blessing uh, when you enter the Beit Midrash. Uh, I forgot to copy that passage for you. You had a good question last week. I'll, I'll find it. Thank <laughs> um, Now we're talking about a different category of blessings. Blessings... Now we have a legal definition. You know, now we're starting to build a structure. So you see, we start with a question, and we say, okay, what's, what's our evidence? It's got to be from the Torah. You can use evidence from, from, uh, uh, other, other, from prophets and writings, but it's not as good. That's, that's like circumstantial evidence, right? It's not testimony. So you can say, oh, well, that's supporting evidence, but you still need testimony, right? Anybody who watches a lot of police shows like I do, or if you're an actual lawyer, then you probably, you could probably correct me on my terminology. Uh, but you want to find something in the Torah. <clears throat> now we're starting to build a structure so that we can begin to define some things so that we can categorize, okay, what things need a blessing and what type of blessing do they need? Uh, So you might say, just as the fruit of the vineyard is an item from which one derives, I'm, I'm repeating, derives benefit and requires a blessing, so too any item from which one derives benefit requires a blessing. The, the Gemara rejects this proof. Now, this is important because sometimes even things that are rejected become relevant later. But it's rejected as a proof. This derivation can be refuted as a vineyard is unique. What is unique about a vineyard? That it is obligated in the mitzvah or that it could be theoretically obligated in the mitzvah. I'm sorry. What is unique about the vineyard is that it is obligated in the mitzvah, requiring to give small, incomplete clusters of grapes to the poor. That is a stringency that does not apply to other fruits, so perhaps the blessing is also a stringency that applies only to grapes. Okay, so if you're saying, uh, okay, we know we bless grapes, we've, we've established that, um, does that apply to, to everything that you benefit from? Uh, well, let's challenge that. Does it make sense that that applies to everything? Because you could say, well, grapes are special. And so grapes are their own category of things. So you can't say just because we bless grapes, we bless everything. Do you follow that argument? Mm -hmm. All right. 
The Gemara answers. So now it's, it's argue, the Talmud is arguing with itself. That's uh, <laughs> what it does most of the time. In that case, standing grain can prove that the halacha of, of olelot, the, the, what, makes wine, what makes grapes unique, you could say, uh, well, grain proves that they're not unique. Uh, one is obligated by Torah to recite a blessing after eating bread, even though the halacha does not apply to grain. The Gemara rejects this proof. So you could say, okay, well, we know that, that you have to say a blessing after wine, uh, after grapes, because wine satisfies you. So is it only wine? No, it can't be only wine, because you know you also have to say a blessing after bread. So if grapes are not unique, maybe there's a category that's just grapes and just uh, bread. What is unique about ripe grain that it's obligated in the mitzvah of, or what is unique about ripe grain is that it is obligated in the mitzvah of separating challah from the dough. Uh, you, you, surely you know what challah is, right? Very tasty. But you might not know why it's called challah, uh, it comes from a commandment related to uh, taking challah, taking a, a um, you know, consecrated portion from the bread before it's baked. So you make the dough, you take off a, a certain, certain portion. Uh, that portion is actually the challah. The part we eat is, is what's, what's left over after you take the challah. But we just call it challah bread. It's bread from which challah has been taken. Uh, although if you buy it in Publix, it's just talking about a style of bread. Like if you buy, you know, kosher dills, that doesn't mean they're kosher. It just means it's kosher style, right? It's the style of pickle. Um, I'm surprised at this reasoning. I would have thought that the parallel to the grapes where a portion must be left for the poor mm -hmm. uh, would apply to grain where the corners of your field are left for the widows and orphans to harvest. It seems like it would be more or less the, the same situation. Um, related, but we're looking for, I'm guessing here, that we're looking for something that applies specifically to uh, grains and not to anything else. If you're growing something else in your field, you still have to leave the payout. That doesn't apply only to grains, the, the corners of the field. And you, you, you know, collect all the blueberries. There are also other laws because of, of, of berries of which you can leave and which you can, can take. Um, uh, maybe berries are not a good, what's, what's, what's something other than a grain that you, you cut down at the end of the season? What's that? Melons. Melons, yeah. If you go through your field, you collect all the melons, um, then uh, uh, you still have to leave the corners of your field. Um, so I'm guessing that this is looking for something specifically related to grains. We know that when you make bread, you have to take the challah. So you could say, uh, you could say, uh, vineyards are special. Because of this, this law that replies only applies only to grapes, you could say that, okay, grapes and grains are special because they each have something that makes them special. 
so maybe you only have to say the blessing for grapes and bread after, uh, uh, before you eat them. Um, so perhaps the blessing is also a stringency that applies only to grain. The Gemara responds, in that regard, vineyards can prove that the halakha of challah is not a factor in the obligation to recite a blessing. Aha, so here's the problem. If uh, now that you've proven that grapes could be special and also you've proven that uh, grains could be special, they cancel each other out because if the blessing is related to what makes one special, it can't be the other, right? I'm seeing some, some blank looks. If you want to go on to the seven spices. <laughs> so the, well, this is, this is important. This is important uh, step in the argument. So it says, okay, maybe the blessing only applies to grapes because grapes are special for reason A. So the blessing is tied to reason A. Or you could say maybe the blessing only applies to grain because grain is special because of reason B. So the blessing is related to this reason B. But it can't be both. It can't be A and B. They're, they're mutually exclusive. One applies just to grapes and one applies just to grains. So if, if that was the reason for the blessing, you would expect the blessing only to apply to one or the other. Because it applies to both, it can't be related to those specific factors that make the, each one of those things special. Is that more clear? No. I'm still seeing some glazed. It's going to be when we make it a general principle. Well, we have to, we have to know how we get there. All right, we'll continue. <laughs> we'll see if it becomes more clear. Yes. We can't have a race of blessing. Why, why not combine them? Aren't you racing a blessing? You have one for grain and one for grapes? Um. Yes, and well, I don't think we're going to get into combining blessings, but basically the rule is that there's a hierarchy. If you've got a bunch of different foods in front of you, uh, this is a, a few pages later, uh, we'll see this discussion, or you can look it up on, on Halachapedia, which is a real thing that exists. It's like a Wikipedia for, for Jewish law. Um, so if... Uh, uh, if you've got a bunch of foods in front of you, if you've got bread, that's easy. You say hamotzi lechamin haaretz, and then that applies to the bread and all of the food that's served with it. If you don't have bread, then it gets complicated. You have to figure out which food is, is the main food, and you bless that. And sometimes that covers some things, but not other things. Uh, there's, there's actually, um, in, in the Orthodox world, they have bracha bees, just like you have a spelling bee, where you have to, you're, you're given a word and you have to spell it. You've heard of a spelling bee, right? Uh, in the Orthodox world, they have bracha bees, and uh, where you're given a set of foods and you have to say what is the correct blessing uh, for that set of foods, um, because it can get very complicated, you know, determining well. You know, cooked garlic is one blessing, but raw garlic is a different blessing. Uh, you know, all sorts of different things like that. So you have, uh, you know, what's, yes. They can't 
question. Yeah. Yes. I grew up in an Orthodox synagogue, but of course I was a little bit clueless. I was young and I didn't really understand anything. Okay. Because there was a blessing for everything. Mm -hmm. and I mean, we got up in the morning, we had to say a blessing, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we washed our hands and we had to say another blessing, and we washed our face and we had to say another blessing. No, I don't remember any of it anymore because <laughs> there were so many blessings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at one point, at one point, is it uh, piety, and at what point is it just neurosis? Well, go back to the top of the page where it says, and it requires a blessing. So, to any item which one derives benefit requires a blessing. That's where that comes from. Right. That's that's, that's the Orthodox is treating this literally. Well, we're. We're in the middle of the argument still. We haven't proven that. We will prove that. <laughs> but we haven't yet proven that statement. First, we have to, dis we, we, we have to uh, disprove every argument against it. So if you argued, no, that only applies to grapes because grapes are special, you know, you could say that. Except then you could say, well, grains are also special, so which is it? Okay. So we're saying... Uh, the aspect of this is not like the aspect of that, and the aspect of that is not like the aspect of this. All right, that's, that's a probably more confusing way of explaining what I just right. explained. Uh, there, there, but you could say there is a common denominator. Both items from which one derives benefits and each requires a blessing. Aha. So the, the only common ground, you know you say a blessing... Uh, for, for grains and for grapes. What is the common denominator? They both give benefit. Okay. And so, a general principle may be derived, so too any item from which one derives benefit requires a blessing. Um, <clears throat> but, but the question is, if um, you bless, I would say inappropriately, something that doesn't right. require, is that wrong feeling or... It's just an extra. Uh, yes, and we're we're not reading that passage today. I, we probably will not read uh, uh, the particular passage that relates to that. But in general, the principle is, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to see. I'll have to see. What, I'm I'm not sure where that passage is. I would have to 
look it up and see if it's it's interesting enough. <laughs> um, yeah, you notice we're not going through all of the different uh, uh, you know sizes of measurements, and you know if you eat if you eat a piece of bread that's that's larger than a large olive or smaller than a large olive, uh, or if you eat the bread, but the bread's cut up into pieces, or what if the bread is put into, uh, what if you dip the bread into soup and it becomes soggy? Uh, these are all real things that are coming up in the Talmud, uh, and it's, it's uh, because we want to be very precise. We're, we're still trying to answer that fundamental question, what does God expect of us? We want to get it right. Uh, you know, it's, if you're watching the football game, anybody here a sports fan? Oh, sorry. <laughs> name name your sport. I'm 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 using football as an example, but you know you you see the instant replay and you say ah, but you know he he touched the ball with with one hand and his toe was was halfway over the line, but he didn't bring his other hand to the ball before his foot came down. Uh, you know why do we obsess over these ultimately stupid details? Because we want to make sure that we get it right. We want it to be right. That's, and if, if that applies to you know, football or baseball or, or uh, football <laughs> or hockey, you know, whatever, if it applies to whatever, you know, again, ultimately silly sport, it's, it's a game, uh, it's not real life. It's, it's the game. If that applies interest, to. If if that applies, to, what's that? It's a gambling uh, interest, actually. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> no, seriously. It's yeah, not. Okay. It's not just that. Uh, plenty of people who don't who don't gamble still care very passionately about, you know, whether or not the ref made the right call. I mean, you'll you'll hear people talking on Thursday about the bad call that the ref made over the weekend, won't you? Yes. You know, we want it to be right. Uh, so if that applies to sports, shouldn't it call the homer all the more so? Shouldn't it all the more so apply to when we're talking about blessings over over things that God cares about? Uh, why does the Talmud go into all of these details? That's why. But still, if you make everything wrong, still there is no punishment, am I right? Well, <laughs> um, the reward and punishment is another interesting question. We talked a little bit about that last week. Because that was one of the criticisms the Romans had about the Jews. That what is the punishment when you don't? That, yeah, there is. There is. All right. So I'm flipping to the back. I'm skipping ahead a little bit because we're we're just about out of time. I'm going down to. I, I know it's actually it's it's actually we're, we are out of time, but I'm going to keep going. Um, so I'm reading in the middle of the page, excuse me, where it says in any case. So it's talking about the arguments that came before. Um, we're skipping over some things about olives, about the seven species. Uh, about the, the order of the seven species and things like that. Um, and it says, okay, in all of these cases, you have to say a blessing. Um, okay, so that's uh, all of those things that are mentioned, the, the seven species, remember, from, from Deuteronomy, those are, those are all plants. 
So we know you have to bless plants. What about other things like meat, eggs, fish? I'm in the middle of this paragraph now. Items that cannot be planted, such as meat, eggs, fish. How do we know that we need to bless those things too? Because they're not mentioned in Deuteronomy. Rather, all previous attempts at deriving this halakha are rejected. Because those, all of the other arguments apply to plants. The fundamental obligation to recite a blessing over food is founded on one reason. One is forbidden to derive benefit from this world without a blessing. Now we're getting, now we're getting to the, the center of this, the, the philosophical heart of this question. Why do we care? Because it's what God wants of us. Because it's about our... Uh, the, 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 the stip, one of the stipulations of the Talmud is that we can know what God wants of us. We're not allowed to throw up our hands and say, I don't know, God's going to do what God's going to do. One of the stipulations of participating in Talmud, participating in Judaism, is that, yes, we can know what God wants of us and do it. If we can't know what God wants of us, then, you know, what's, what's, what is morality? What's our moral compass? What's the point of Judaism? Just do whatever you want. Because maybe that's what God wants. Who knows? Correct. That's that's the basis of Judaism. That's that's the fundamental. God, uh, there's a stipulation that God cares what we do, and that it's knowable. In the Torah, yeah. And everything uh, here is derived from the Torah. We'll see, and we'll see where it's we'll see where it's derived. In this case, not from the Torah, but from from uh, Psalms, which is almost as good. Psalms come from King David, and so he's 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 got you know high status um, among the prophets in reading Psalms. Psalms are pretty good evidence. It's still circumstantial evidence. It's still not testimony. It's still not revelation. It's not Torah, but it's pretty good. All right. One is forbidden to derive benefit from this world without a blessing. The sage is taught. Don't worry about what a tosefta is. Uh, one is forbidden to derive benefit from the world, which is the property of God, without reciting a blessing beforehand. And anyone who derives benefit from this world without a blessing, it is as if he is guilty of misuse of a consecrated object. The Gemara adds, what is the remedy if you, if you accidentally do something? You should go to a sage. All right, so what is the punishment? This is your question. The Gemara is puzzled. That's a great comment, by the way. <laughs> Very helpful insertion. He should go to a sage? And what will he do for him? How can the sage help after he already violated a prohibition? Rather, Rava said... This is how it should be understood. He should go to a sage initially in his youth, and the sage will teach him blessings so that he will not come to be guilty of this type of misuse in the future. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse. It's your job to know the rules of what God expects of you. 
And if you want to avoid doing something that God doesn't want, you have to study. You have to learn this stuff. Because if you don't learn it, then you could, you could make a grave mistake accidentally without even realizing that you're, you're, you're doing something bad and, and, you know, totally mess it up. Um, there's, there's a, I don't know why this just popped into my head, but I'll share it. There's a, 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 a I think it's a, a Dear Abby, something like that. I think it's Dear Abby. You all know Dear Abby, right? Yes. It's an advice column. You write in and say, okay, I've got this problem. Someone writes into Dear Abby and says, oh, I, I'm, I'm, um, it's a grown woman. She says, you know, every time I get together with my friends, my, my younger sister always wants to uh, tag along. And sometimes, you know, I just want to hang out with my friends and my, my sister can be really annoying, but she always insists on coming out wherever we're going, even if we're doing something that she doesn't enjoy, you know, even if we're doing something that's, you know, uh, it's so rare that we get to see each other. Uh, dear Abby, what's, what is a nice way to explain to her uh, that this is, is just, you know, the, the, the girl's time uh, for me and my, my high school friends, you know, when we get together and that she's not welcome. Uh, and then Dear Abby says, well, the correct response, you, you could say whatever you want, but what you're doing is called bullying. This is not a unique example. There are lots of times where someone says, you know, you know, I didn't even realize I was in the wrong. How, how was I supposed to know? Um, bless you. Mabriot. The, the, um, there are lots of examples uh, uh, where, you know, a friend, you know, I'm sure you've all had that moment where a friend is telling you this story uh, where, where they say, you know, uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I'm just thinking of like traffic examples. You know, I did this in traffic the other day, and can you believe that that jerk honked at me? And you're thinking, if you did that, I'd honk at you too. <laughs> right? Um, that happens all the time. So how do you know? You might think you know right and wrong, but really, unless you examine it, unless you study it, you can't know for sure. So that's, that's the point here. Ignorance is not an excuse. You've got to, you've got to study, and then you won't make a mistake. Hold on one second, because we're very close. Rav Shmuel said, similarly, Rav, Rav Yehuda said that Rav Shmuel said, one who derives benefit from this world without a blessing, it is as if he enjoyed objects consecrated to the heavens, as it is stated, and here's our proof, the earth and all it contains is the Lord's, or the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof is sometimes how you see it translated. Uh, the world and all those who live on it, which comes from Psalms. And then we don't need this line about Rabbi Le Levi because that's starting and uh, entering a, a different type of argument, um, uh, which basically expresses that he uses a different verse and says, uh, if you say a blessing, it's like, uh, uh, if, if you don't say a blessing, but you derive enjoyment, it's like, it's, it, not only is it like stealing from God, but it's like stealing from your own mother and father. So what does redemption mean? 
You promised we would know that by the end, and like um, if the wine, you know, the first, the last paragraph on the first page, the wine and milk requires a sign of praise, all other fruits does not require redemption. That, that's... Oh, yes, that is that is being redeemed in the fourth year. That's the rules of the fourth fruit. It's in this case, it's a specific legal term. I'm not talking about your redemption. I'm talking about the redemption for the grace. So it has no other no other meaning in this context. I'm sorry. Um, you could say, and you've been you've been waiting with your hand, so please. Go back for a second to the yes, third paragraph yes, before yes, the yes, end. Yes, yes. Uh, the sentence that reads, anyone who derives benefit from this world without a blessing is as if he's guilty of the use of a consecrated object. Yes. Common term, what's the difference? Hold on one second. It is as if he is guilty, and the phrase, he is guilty. Why does they not just say he's guilty of misusing a consecrated object? Uh, why does it say as if? Um, is that your question? Yeah, because this is also establishing a legal standard. And if it says something is by definition this thing, then there are repercussions of saying that. Uh, if it is, hold, hold on just one second, just one second. Uh, so if. If you say he is guilty of misusing a consecrated object, then all of these laws apply, that apply to consecrated objects, you also have to apply to the, the foods, and then it can get very complicated. So it says uh, the, the, it's the same type of transgression. It is as if uh, somebody uh, 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 misused a consecrated object. It's the same type of transgression. It's not the same transgression, but it's the same type. Hmm. A little murky to me, but um, okay. Let's let's say driving. If you're if you're caught speeding in a in a school zone, you get a, a, a worse penalty because you're you're potentially endangering lives. It's 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 as though. You're guilty of reckless driving, but you're not charged with reckless driving because that's a very specific thing. So it's 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 a comparison. It's a it's a reasoning that connects these two. Does that help? A little, but not much. Okay. <laughs> uh, as, as if you're guilty of a particular infraction, and being guilty of the infraction still seems pretty subtle to me. And, I there was a it's subtle, but in legal terms, in legal terms, that subtlety is significant. You don't want to you don't want to have a misplaced comma. Uh, the most important lesson, and it's it's where I'm going to close uh, because we've got we've got a bar mitzvah. Uh, the most important argument is is right here at the end. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in this world belongs to God. And we're allowed to use it as long as we say a blessing. That's the lesson here. Rabbi, did you hang around?